listening to Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Aaron, and the gentleman joining me this evening is Stavros, as he does every evening. He's a bit of a stalker. <laughs> every so evening. tell me, Stavros, what have you poured into our cups tonight? Uh, well, it's more, more about what you've poured into our cups. Um, and this week, uh, I'm thankful that you've selected a white Russian. Um, I uh, have used Tito's Vodka and Bailey's Irish Cream. And some regular milk because I'm a pleb. Um, but I have to say, you know, I've always been a fan of White Russians. It is both tasty and delicious, and I'm glad you have selected it over some of our earlier picks. You know, without a coffee liqueur, it's not really a White Russian. But whatever gets you through the day. <laughs> you know, it's close enough. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as we're a little tipsy when we move on to our topic for this evening. Because tonight, we're watching episode one of season two. Strange Energies! <laughs> It's written by Mike McMahon and directed by Jason Zurich. Uh, so why don't you tell me a little bit about these guys? I, I haven't heard, uh, I've heard, I know McMahon obviously, but um, Jason Zurich, what has he done? Oh, good. For a minute there, I thought you were going to say Mike McMahon <laughs> I almost was. said that, and then and I knew then, better. I think we were going to have to get you to a doctor. <laughs> so yes, interesting thing, Mike McMahon also uh, wrote the first and last episodes of the last season, as I recall. Mm. Um, no doubt wanting to start the season off on a good foot. Not that every episode of last season wasn't spectacular. The director, interestingly, uh, I don't know um, his history uh, too much. I know he's done a lot of work for Cartoon Network. He wrote a lot of the later series of uh, Ben 10. You know, he's done a lot of stuff for them, as I mentioned. Uh, the main thing I remember him from is he did do uh, a couple of episodes for the Venture Brothers. Uh, specifically, the one I remember most is Sphinx Rising. Which was a absolutely absurd episode. <laughs> Many people may remember him from the animated uh, Tron TV series, Tron Uprising. Oh. Uh, however, he's had a long history since then. So he's a. You're, so it sounds like he's a bit of a uh, animated, you know, director specialist, basically. So it's not that surprising that he's done this. Show. His main role, I think, has mainly been storyboard mm. artisting, uh, but he has done quite a bit of directing. Uh, I think. The DuckTales revival, he was directing for for okay. quite a while. But yeah, I mean, I would imagine the jump from storyboarding to directing can't be sure. that far of a leap. <laughs> Coming from two people who know nothing about how to produce animated shows. <laughs> yeah, you know, the closest I got was uh, flip books in the corner of my <laughs> Hey, you know what? That, that counts for something. Not according to my mother or the uh, school oh, board. No. Very upset <laughs> That's really sad. I'm really sad now. But you know what would make me happier is talking about what the plot of this episode is. How does that sound? I don't recall. Did this episode have a plot? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm here to remind you. I came up with this um, after the fact earlier today, and maybe you could tell me how accurate my synopsis is. So why don't I just get into it, and you can tell me of any major points that I've missed. Um, so, yes, this episode. While Commander Ransom deals with the pressures of being cut out of the command circle by accidentally taking up space god powers and trying to awkwardly eat the Cerritos. Tendi's fear of losing her friendship with Rutherford after he gains a love for pears reaches extreme levels. Uh, pretty accurate. Although I don't think it was the <laughs> love for pears that finally broke Tendi. I feel like it was just the <laughs> general change in demeanor and uh, preferences that started to give her concern. Yes. Although I felt like Paris was the most obvious and the most comedic. Yes. So I, I kind of wonder if that isn't a callback to some fantastic deleted scenes from 
Doctor Who, where the Doctor explains Ooh. about how much he hates pears, and he's afraid that in his human persona, he will start eating pears and doesn't want to wake up to that taste in his mouth. <laughs> well, if anyone's listening, you can leave a comment and see if that's where this, if that reference is coming from Doctor Who, and that'd be interesting to hear. But let's talk about more about this episode then. What were your highlights from this episode? I know I have a few things I want to talk about, but what grabbed your attention? So the cold open, and it was the cold open, unlike the last time I mentioned a cold open and <laughs> incorrectly identified it as a stinger because we were too far into the episode and I was too far into my cup yes. to realize I was talking nonsense. Well, these things happen. The cold open is fantastic on so many levels. Uh, I love the fact that Mariner is still using the holodeck for therapy. Um, yes. I'm really intrigued to see how long it took people to pick up on the fact that Mariner was on a holodeck. For me, it was the moment she started ranting about her mother while yeah. in a torture chamber. Yes. Like, I feel like that would not be my topic of interest in that scenario. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, that whole opening scene is fantastic. I about died the Boimler uh, being tortured. <laughs> yeah, and the best the best part is she is she adjusted his holodeck image to be in the uh, first contact or the Titan uniforms just to like get that extra level of detail in. Yes, Hard to ignore indeed. that. Pretty good. Yeah, I do kind of wonder. I feel like the uh, Cardassian torturer in that scene. I feel like her appearance and demeanor is meant to be a reference to something. But mm. I'll be damned if I cannot place it, you know? It's just, I know it means something, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Pretty soon I'll be building mashed potato facades of Cardassian <laughs> torture. This means something. I feel like she looks strongly, like there are some female Cardassian uh, officers, I want to say in Next Gen, but maybe DS9. I feel like the artist just had her picture up and they just... You know, made that character based on her, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe it is a specific, a specific reference for something. I'm not sure. It, it could be. It's just I feel like something's there. Yeah, but of course we talked about this, and when we looked at the trailers, but I mean, the number of lights, like they keep showing me lights. That's you yeah. know, obviously the uh, chain of command uh, reference there. Yeah, it's a good uh, time. I do want to comment on something though. Uh, her outfit uh, that you were yes. so focused on. <laughs> I was focused on it. It seemed and out of it, place. You, and you were wrong. Didn't mean anything. <laughs> perfectly reasonable for the scenario. You know, and I'll, I'll take back. If I said anything bad about that outfit, I take it back. And you know why? Because they put the Starfleet Delta everywhere in that outfit. Like, it's on her uh, little wrist cuffs. It's on the on the trainer shoes. Um, it's everywhere, and it's great. I take back anything I ever said that was bad about that outfit. You know what? If that's all it takes to get you to be on board with something, um, I've got a bunch <laughs> of products you can look at. Oh, excellent. I can't wait. You know, I got some land uh, out in uh, Nevada. Um, <laughs> former nuclear test site, but Delta, right in the ground, baby. Ooh, I'll buy it. But anyways, the best part of that scene, obviously, is as she makes her escape. And what ship is she flying in, Stavros? Yes, that's the Miranda-class USS McDuff, uh, which we pointed out in the um, uh, in the trailers. But again, I mean, it's like why it's got to just be a a Rathacon reference or something. Like they just love the Miranda-class; they wanted to shove it in there somewhere. They made the model already, and they're just like, you know what? We can use it in Mariner's escape sequence. Yeah, and I think you may be right about that. Uh, I think I had pointed out previously that McDuff was 
the fake officer in a previous TNG episode. Yes. I don't think that's a reference they were going for, though. You don't think so? It's a fake ship because it's in uh, her holodeck fantasy. Yeah, I get that, but I think it may just be a uh, Shakespearean callback. I don't Ah. recall who McDuff was. But you know what? It's a Miranda class, which itself is a Shakespearean reference. As you mentioned, Wrath of Khan very much uh, references Shakespeare all throughout. Yes. so I may have to eat that one. There may be no reference. <laughs> but you're right. They show, they show, I mean, speaking of ships, they show all of those ships that are like clumped up in the, um, Cardassian oh boy, yeah. like area. And the, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I just, I just said they made the model and they wanted to use it. They're probably like, wow, we made like the Maquis ship model or the Cardassian ship model. You know what? We're just going to shove them on this scene as a little Easter egg and then everything yeah. will be cool. Oh yeah. No, I mean like you got a Bajoran fighter, Jem'Hadar attack ship. Tons of Danubes. Danubes? Danube? Dan- I, I don't know Danubes. How to that. One of those. The roundabouts. Yeah, something like that. The weird thing was, it looked like there were Delta Flyers there. Really? Uh, yeah, did like Starfleet Command just start mass producing those when Voyager <laughs> got back? Because I feel like it wasn't a great ship design, other than its weird ability to transit through spaces much smaller than itself. <laughs> but there were. You know- there were uh, Peregrines. Uh, yes. I think there was an Antara Klingon vessel. It's a weird Romulan vessel I'd never seen before. Like there was there was what looked like Klingon vessels that had been cut in half. Just yeah. weird, man. Strange. Definitely a cool yeah. little Easter egg there for sure. But of course they're all crap because they're not Andorian. <laughs> well, you know there was an Andorian with lines in this episode. Were you excited about that? Ah, you know what? I don't like Andorians getting put down. But, you know. <laughs> Jumped up wannabe command officers. <laughs> Damn it, Jen. I think her name is Jen, right? <laughs> Damn it, Jen. Do your Pilates somewhere else. Oh, my God. She was yoga. Yoga. <laughs> Can't you just do that in your quarters or, like, in the hallway or something? Come on. Oh, my God. But she wasn't doing yoga. She was there to find Mariner, wasn't yeah. she? <laughs> yes, that's right. She was telling the, the Mariner to report to I love the, the fact, though, is that she's all, like, being, like, all frowny on Mariner for her uh, <laughs> workout being a planning prison breakouts on the holodeck yeah and so like you know what how are you gonna bag on somebody for their workout being some hardcore training exercise <laughs> and yours is i can tort my body into weird shapes <laughs> i'll tell you what though when mariner started doing squats in front of the uh, con console i lost my mind that was like oh, could be the yeah. top moment of the episode oh man <laughs> but yeah great great cold open was just fantastic and definitely like led into the episode really well yeah and uh, uh, it's interesting i do want to comment on that and yeah. as far as like the writing goes that episode that that scene for the episode does a fantastic job of being very entertaining and delivering tons of exposition it lays out the changed relationship between mariner and her mother how yeah. she feels about it how long it's been since the last season just right. so well done <clears throat> yeah and I know I want to talk more about uh, Mariner and her relationship with her mom later, but you're you're totally right that it it shows that it isn't working, which is an obvious setup for the you know what's going on later in the episode. Uh, but I, what I really want to talk about is the change in the opening credits. Did you spot the change there? Uh, which ones? Um, there's the updated Cerritos, which I yes. think we are of a difference of opinion on. <laughs> I'm of the opinion that it's all just you know style and upgrade to visuals. Yes. Uh, there's no actual canon upgrade there. Mm. But yeah, the updated Cerritos, it looks fantastic. Way more detailed, way more streamlined lines. It just it looks a lot better overall. Yes, that's true. But the 
shot I'm thinking of is the uh, Borg uh, shot where the Cerritos turns around and runs away. There's a lot more detail oh, yeah. in that scene, though. Did you notice that's like yeah. there's some backled uh, battle harpies in there, and yep. the Klingon birds of prey just come in and strafe? I mean, I, I was kind of worried. You know, just, we're, we're talking a lot about a two second shot in a opening credits sequence, but I was a little worried that there's so much happening it kind of ruins the joke a little bit. But you know what? I think I just, it's still fine. I hope that becomes a running gag every season. Just keep <laughs> making that scene bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fantastic for sure. But, you know, going to the rest of the um, episode, though, I thought you would be really happy after this one because I feel like it's basically a Ransom episode. And we, of course, all know that Ransom is your favorite character. You know what? I really do like it. But the problem is I like Ransom as a character, so I'm probably reading too much into it. I feel <laughs> like the episode just gives his character a lot of depth and complexity. Yes. And that's probably not intended by the writer. <laughs> <laughs> they want Ransom to be as uncomplex as, as possible. Yes, he, he comes off a bit too narcissistic, too, which I always felt was more like a veneer in the previous season, because mm. there's tons of great moments where Ransom shows why he's a great Starfleet officer, Yeah, but then in this episode, it's all like, oh no, all of him being a great Starfleet officer is just a veneer. Underneath, he's this vainglorious asshole who just wants to be captain. <laughs> you know what? I think um, I, I, I'm going to have to say that it's part of his uh, godhood, his uh, strange energy exposure um, that like created this need for his ego to be sated. I don't think it was think, a like, part of his character. Godhood brought out the worst traits in him. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm trying to remember back to the last episode where we had somebody who gained Godhood. Actually, there's been several. Okay, I'm going to go back to the first episode. <laughs> Gary Mitchell. <laughs> the one Gary reference. Mitchell. Yes. And I'm kind of wondering because that was the big thing. Is he became pretty much a jerkwad after he gained. Supreme Omnipotent Powers! <laughs> um, but I was... I, I, I don't recall the episode well enough. I mean, wasn't he kind of a jerk to Kirk in the past, despite them being friends? I think I feel like yes. But again, it's it's magnifying this uh, this personality trait that was already there. So I, it, I think it's the same thing with Ransom, where he's he's not a narcissistic jerk that wants to be captain. He just, just got amplified by his... Uh, by his godhood. Not everyone can be Riker to you turn down the powers once you... Well, once I mean, I think that was the whole story of the uh, Quiker episode. Was <laughs> yes. that once he became Quiker, he realized that his worst traits were being amplified by the powers of Q. And Picard gave him the verbal smackdown to remind him of who he really is. Yes. And he was able to reject them. But you know who doesn't have a Riker... Or who doesn't have a Picard <laughs> in his corner... Who would that be? That would be Ransom. He's stuck <laughs> with Mariner and her. Hey, Captain Freeman. Yeah. yeah, not quite the uh, not quite the backup you want. Freeman is such a bad captain. <laughs> you know, it, speaking, of, you know, I, I want to talk more about Captain Freeman and her relationship with uh, Mariner in this episode. Although I do want to quickly mention they do name drop uh, Mariner's dad, who is Admiral Freeman. So we've got Captain Freeman and Admiral Freeman and Beckett Mariner. So what's your hypothesis? Why does does Mariner have the different last name? Did she change her name so she That's, is purposefully won't be identified with uh, her parents? That is super, super weird. However, there's a fan theory that I couldn't think could come into play here. Okay. And that is that uh, the characters from TNG's... I 
can't remember the name of the episode where Wesley Crusher, as a Starfleet cadet, murders a bunch of people. Yes. And him and his buddies try to cover it up. Right. The first duty, I think, is called, right? Yes, the first duty, because yes. the first duty of every Starfleet officer <laughs> is the truth. The, the truth. The yes. scientific truth. <laughs> or historical truth. Or personal truth. It is the guiding principle upon which Starfleet is based. <laughs> Are you trying to and imitate then, the Picard French Picard British accent? lies all the time. All the time. <laughs> Filthy liar. But anyways, so there's a theory that Nick Licarno right. is Tom Paris. And this Ooh. goes back to the original plan for Voyager. And Voyager had the same problem that DS9 had before it. They wanted to bring these characters over from previous series... And they're all like, nah, there's some problem with that. We're yeah. just not great producers. <laughs> that was the problem? Well, actually, I think it was more like Nick Locarno didn't test well uh, for Ooh. a name for audiences, so they yeah. just changed it to Tom Paris, but kept the personality traits. Right. Makes sense. So, there is a theory, a fan theory, that Nick Locarno and Tom Paris are the same person, Ooh. but... When Tom Paris went to join Starfleet, he wanted to create his own legacy, be his own man. So he changed his name to Nick Locarno so as not to be associated with the revered Admiral Paris. Ah, makes sense. However, he fails miserably. And when he flunks out and goes to prison, to spite his father... He changes his name back to Tom Paris. <laughs> Alright, that last bit is all me. I don't think that's a part of the thing. <laughs> I buy it. So you think something similar is happening with uh, with Beckett Mariner here? Well, I mean, either that or maybe she just, like, it's her mother's maiden name or something. Ah, maybe that could be. Yes, that could Which be. Which I do want to comment. It weirds me out in the distant future that women are still taking men's names. Hmm. I get that, like, sometimes when you get into a relationship, you want to create a whole new life together. Right. But taking somebody else's name is kind of, like, super weird. Yeah. I kind of agree. And, you know, when uh, when I get mar- got married, uh, you know, my wife and I kept our separate names. But then it, be- it becomes the- an issue when you talk about the kid's name. Because, you know, we hyphenated our kid's name, but then that isn't exactly the best solution either. We need Star Trek to come up with a better solution for this. Maybe they, maybe yeah. we need to do name, you know, name merging or something like that in in Star Trek. Or cool. maybe just like last names stop being relevant. Maybe you just have one name because you know it's in an age of computers and in the computer everybody has a unique ID. So yes. maybe we're no longer Aaron and Stavros. Maybe you're Stavros E six seven J Delta seven five eight nine two. Oh no! And I am Aaron four. <laughs> Yes, it seems like there would be way f- fewer Stavroses than Aaron's. Or vice oh, versa. no, it's not that there's a lot of Stavroses. It's just that I'm the most important Aaron. <laughs> so, oh, it's ranked by importance. I didn't realize that. Yes, okay. yes, yes, that's how it works. <laughs> oh, dear. But, Mike, Mike McMahon, if you're listening, you have a perfect opportunity to address this with uh, Beckett Mariner. Please help us with this. And it's entirely possible... That Freeman is neither of their names, and it's their married name. They chose it could to be. create a new family yeah, name. Yeah, it's, it's entirely explainable. Just, it all it takes is one little line of dialogue. Just make it happen. Or, you know, nothing at all, because it's not really relevant. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but I, I want to go back to uh, to, to uh, Captain Freeman and Admiral Freeman and Becca Mariner relationship. So, by the way, um, Admiral Freeman, played by Fulham Mars back. 
He's great as usual. He has a short, that short scene, which is pretty good. Well, I, I think the captain really carries that scene. <laughs> well, Just yes. had some hot chili. <laughs> Just interrupted me in the middle of lunch. <laughs> I love I love the fact that like there's no hint that he realizes she's full. Yeah, he just but buys you it. No, he's got to be aware. He's an admiral. He's yeah. He's dealt with a lot of captains bullshitting him, obviously. But yeah, so I mean, in in this episode, you know, at the end, the uh, relationship between Mariner and the cap and Captain Freeman is is reset back to season one. And we talked about in the uh, when we talked about some of the trailers and stuff, like the Mariner character is built around this rebelliousness and this and of course it's reinstated in this first episode i wasn't really sure how they were going to have mariner be mariner if they didn't have this happen right off the bat it was obviously a necessity for it to happen you know what i don't think it was a necessity but one of the things i've heard about star trek right now is that a problem with the fan base is that it's very fractured we all like different things about star trek star trek has such a huge breadth of content and context we all talk about what our favorite episodes series seasons movies are right and nobody agrees right because different things speak to different people and i think they're trying to create different series that are going to speak to a specific audience rather than creating this bland pudding of a season of a series that just it's for everybody. Right. And I think that kind of plays through in this, in that there has to be a return to the status quo at some point. Sure. Because this isn't their big, overarching, melodrama series. Right. You know? This is their fun, animated series. Right. And that can work with overarching stories. That can work with, you know, long-form television. But there has to be a certain level of continuity, a certain level of... Of status quo right i i totally buy that but i was just uh, i was worried I'm like what were they going to do but obviously they reset it and everything's fine and i just wonder how long mariner is going to be in the brig for uh but i couldn't decide who was going to be who is more in the right you know did mariner decide deserve to be in the brig at the end there because she does disarm or dis dis junk r- ransom right at the end Disjunct, <laughs> <laughs> but and and Captain Freeman obviously had, had like didn't have a handle on the situation. So I mean, Mariner was disobeying orders, I guess, but she still saved the day in her usual like chaotic good fashion. But uh, I don't know if she deserved to be in the brig or how long she's going to be in there. Well, I mean, this calls back to the basics of leadership that you always have to take ownership of your own decisions, right? And you always have to take ownership of your subordinates' decisions. And a big element of leadership is how do you prevent your subordinates from making bad decisions? Right. And the first thing you do is you don't let your subordinates run wild. (laughs) And this whole episode, her inappropriate relationship with her daughter, um, her complete disregard for her first officer, who has shown himself to be a capable and competent officer, despite his bombastic and over-the-top attitude and his maybe oh dear I just lost where I was going (laughs) subtle narcissism (laughs) right that is really like a hundred percent on Captain Freeman right and so I actually think maybe she should have been in the brig as well not that (laughs) Beckett's attitudes didn't deserve her a little bit of brig time but (laughs) 
I do want to talk about this change that I noticed. Okay. So she went off the rails a lot in previous seasons. And there's two ty- two ways she goes off the rails. Okay. The first is she is fighting for what she believes a moral moral necessity. She's helping farmers, you know. Right. But she also goes off the rails on achieving an end goal that she believes hers is the best path. Right. And it happens all throughout the season. Even even the season where She's drinking it up with the Klingon ambassador. Right. She's 100% ingratiating Starfleet to that ambassador. Yeah, certainly. But her mission this season was to power wash some buildings? <laughs> what's what's the net gain here, right? <laughs> what is she trying to achieve? Yeah. It seems like she's just being silly and ridiculous. Hard to hard to make an argument for why. I mean, she her her reason she gives is the city is dirty because of the industrial revolution not being cleaned up after and she wants to inspire them to clean their city but that's like kind of far fetched i mean it's obviously a setup for the plot device of the yes. sparkles you know the sparkle powers for commander ransom although i do kind of wonder how an industrial era society built a god making machine <laughs> seems yes. a little out of their tech range <laughs> Well, you know what? Their star has strange energies in it that was amplified by the uh, magnifying glass or whatever. You don't know. Strange (laughs) energies! Not that far-fetched. Come on. Star Trek is known for having a very grounded and never far-fetched storyline. That's exactly right. Uh, But you know what else I want to talk about is uh, is my favorite relationship in the whole show, Tenderford. Um, and that was put under some strain, obviously. But you know what? I I was made a little bit uncomfortable because Tendi had some uh, some jealous uh, tendencies in this episode. And you know what? You do not want that in a you know what is hopefully going to become a future romantic relationship. So I, I was a little uncomfortable. She Tendi goes off the deep end for sure. I don't know why people can't just be friends, man. <laughs> you know what? They can. But I have I have hopes. I have dreams. I don't think it was jealousy though. Oh, you don't think um, so? I really think it is. It's less jealousy and more fear. Um, yeah, fear. Tendi was not jealous of the Terrible. girl he had seen in the previous scene. Yeah, she was upset that he was doing things that previously he would never have done. Right. He was his personality was changing, and he, she was afraid that his new personality would cut her out and she would never have that friend she had lost yeah and she thought if this was the product of some scientific mumbo jumbo she could fix it but yeah. scientific mumbo jumbo yep and i i totally agree but you know the fact that he that uh, rutherford was dating someone else and that was part of what made her suspicious kind of rubbed me the wrong way i didn't want to believe it I, and maybe, like you said, it's because he was acting differently and it's not because she was jealous. I hope that's true because I have high hopes for Tenderford to return later in the season, if not. You know, I, I would agree if it was a character we had never seen before or if it was, you know, Billups, who is his soulmate. Um, <laughs> I would agree with that. But the fact that it was somebody who previously, he was all like, ah, this person's, you know, I thought things were going to work out, but they, they aren't. This person's not right for me. Right. And now suddenly he's all like, oh, she's great. We're perfect together. I, I can see a different angle on that. Yeah, I can I can see that for sure. Uh, but you know what I've seen uh, 3D models of floating around the internet already is the medical gun that Tendi wields, which medical now is gun. canon. 
Such a ridiculous concept. <laughs> and the funny part is, is she opens up this case and like assembles it. So this must have a canon purpose. Like, yeah, what that is, I can't imagine. Like, I guess you can't. I guess you can't throw hyposprays at everything. I, I love the fact that the best part, it looks like just like a collection of medical equipment, <laughs> and then she assembles it into this, like, assault rifle. <laughs> very, uh, very confusing. <laughs> yes. I like when she pumps it and it pops out the, uh, the tubes of uh, medication yeah. or whatever. <laughs> oh my god. But now, now yes. it exists. I don't know, did you have any other, uh, any other uh, highlights of the episode that you uh, want to call out? So, real quick, we already hit the medical gun. Yes. But, brace for grabbing! <laughs> such a great line! Um, that and the uh, uh, captain, there's a head approaching us. <laughs> it's a giant head approaching. <laughs> Just like, Show me what you got! <laughs> these lines are delivered by this you know, this no-name character on the bridge, who yes. I hope I hope in the true Lower Decks fashion eventually gets a an episode about them, because that was amazing delivery. Yes, uh, my second one is uh, Symbiont. Is that how it's pronounced? Symb- I, I heard that too. Um, Can't let it go. Yeah, it was a little weird when when she says that to Rutherford in the in the mess. Sim- symbiont, but it's symbiont. Well, I mean, maybe we're wrong. I mean, neither of us are Englishitarians. Is that what you call them? <laughs> I guess. So, don't know how it's pronounced. Don't really care. Ooh. Uh, Ransom gets a sidekick. <laughs> yes! That was perhaps one of the best parts of, of this show. And it, you know, The question it, is, is he going to come back, or is this a one-off? You know, and also the fact that he's the only character with a, a kind of southerny accent. <laughs> I'm not sure if that makes his character better or worse, but it definitely exists that way. A little of both, I bet. <laughs> yes, I, can, I hope so. He, uh, I hope he nurses Ransom back to health. And they have a happy life together. Because, you know, Ransom, originally, before he got God Powers, wasn't a huge fan. But now, you know, he's he's getting read to every day, and maybe they'll live happily ever after. I don't know. I feel like that's more of a creepy sub-situation, and uh, <laughs> not really uh, something you want to find yourself in. I'm, <laughs> I'm still not. shipping Ransom and Mariner. Ransom and Mariner. It's It could happen. Yeah, you know, uh, Ransom is all that Starfleet is, and Mariner is all that Starfleet could be. Mm. Maybe together they can find a happy medium. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, this episode is obviously the love triangle with uh, Captain Freeman in there, too. Like, who can get the affection the most? <laughs> <sighs> I'm not sure where this line of thought is going. Maybe we should just Poor cut that off Ransom. at the pass. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should move on. This. <laughs> I think so. So, of course, I guess uh, before we end this whole conversation, we got to talk about one scene. Yes, which one? You know the one. The Return of Riker. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. We get a little tease of uh, what Boimler's been up to on the Titan. Yeah, uh, and it's basically straight out of the trailers. This whole episode has been the bulk of the content from the trailers, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I do want to comment on one thing. His proclamation that this is... uh, this jazz, this jam session has got too many comps and not enough licks. Yes. In context, I still have no idea what he's trying to say. <laughs> have you? Do you know? I I think those are legitimate. Um, no, uh, they are. Jazz they are terms. comps. Are basically uh, beat 
uh, music where you're you're keeping rhythm right. Okay. Um, whereas licks are independent, small components of music that are just standard, right? Okay. That it's a part of what you learn when you are getting into the music scene. Mm. It's not just a jazz thing. Right. But then you put that all together and it's all like, I don't know what he's trying to say. <laughs> uh, usually, like, it, it's a lot of, like, jam session, like, focus, I think. Right. Okay. But it's all like, so it's got too many comps, so it's, like, just got too much rhythm and not enough standard... <laughs> uh, musical bits i i don't know what he's trying to say i'm lost <laughs> maybe we need someone who knows a little bit more about jazz maybe we're missing some kind of context or something or some it's, kind of slang it's gotta be you so, know what maybe i'll go to a jazz club and, and play the clip <laughs> for somebody see if he understands yes perhaps uh, if any listeners out there know you can you can tweet us or comment on the episode because we have no idea if he's just spouting random jazz words yes but it's cool because it's right that yeah. listen to our podcast. And, uh, <laughs> let us know if you know anything. Uh, Mom, if you can ask Dad, uh, I think he might know. Yes. You know what? I think we've talked the heck out of this episode. Do you have anything else you want to you cover? I, I think we've been talking uh, longer than the episode ran. I think so, you're right. You know what? And I've, I've actually uh, ran out. Uh, oh God, of your white Russian? 15 minutes ago. It, it's oh, bit, dear. It's getting a bit long for me. Oh. So... I guess it's that time again, ladies and gentlemen. That time that we called it a night. As always, I am Aaron, and signing off with me is Stavros. You can catch us again next week for our review of episode two. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, at Lord Dorks. Or, if you're feeling a little bit feistier, you can pick up your trombone and go wailing in the night until Stavros leans out his window and tells you to cut that racket out. <laughs> or we'll all invite you inside and we can talk about licks or whatever those words are. Bye.